Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Dr. Scott Jensen Podcast. I'm Andy Schmidt here with Dr. Scott Jensen, and we're back. It's been a little bit, and we're ready to talk about some more real topics. That's what we do here. That's what we, we do. sure do, and thank you, Andy. <laughs> Let me flip the tables on you right Great. off the bat. Okay. You're always asking me the questions. Let That's me right. ask you one. Okay. As a person in the early portion of the Gen Z cohort group, you would have a strong link with Gen Z's, millennials. What kinds of things keep you optimistic about the future? What kinds of things might give you a sort of an impending sense of pessimism about Mm -hmm. the future? Because that's really what I want to understand is how are, I mean, I'm 66 years old. I need to know how do you see the world pessimistically and optimistically? I'll I'll start with some pessimism um, or realism. Um, (laughs) Basically, I I think, I think one of the things I'm, I'm most scared about I'm thinking about the rest of my life going into my 30s and 40s and, and, and living in the United States of America it feels like one of the, one of the big things that's important to me just in my life is my faith and I'm, I'm a Christian and I believe in Jesus and being able to worship and go to church and have that community is essential to Christian faith I mean yeah I mean we go to church history and all that but it is essential and I think that we that, that I need that. And it does, it, I, I get scared because COVID happened and they started shutting down. They, they, there seemed to be this unfair, like churches are like, keep churches shut down, this like weird thing. And I was like, you know, that's going to suck in the future if that, if they start to try to take away my religious freedoms and that kind of thing. So that's one of the big things that I, I get kind of scared about or I'm pessimistic about going towards the future. And it does feel like um, some politicians don't necessarily care or don't really talk about it as much. I think religious freedom, it's one, the main reason why we came to America, why we started this country. So for, for us to just completely ignore it going forward, to me, is I think it's stupid, but it's also scary. Um, so that's a big thing. Another thing that I'd say is like my speech, what I say. Like if I, if I you know, I'm going to get it. Like if I misgender somebody in the future, like I can go to prison or something like that. You don't know where that stuff goes. So that stuff scares me. But I think optimism for the future um my generation and i think not a lot of people know this well like we love to have conversations and we love to talk and we love to figure this stuff out i always am sitting in a group of like 10 21 year olds where we talk about some of these hard political issues or hard philosophical or theological issues and we'll go at it we'll argue but we love to talk about these things and so it does feel like there's some sort of Um, hunger in the younger generation to change things. Now, I think that that energy has kind of been, that can kind of go all over the place because of just lack of maturity um, because we're young. But I think that that's really cool that that we all want to kind of talk and have Mm -hmm. these conversations. And it's one of the reasons why I want to start this podcast with you because a huge thing about my generation is they want to, they actually do want to learn from the older generations. You guys have a lot of wisdom and a lot of knowledge and we got a lot of energy. And I've said it from the beginning and I want to bring the energy, but I want you guys to bring the wisdom and knowledge so that when I'm 40 or 50 years old and I'm, I'm getting ready or even thirties, forties or fifties, I'm getting ready to take on the world and be in leadership, whether it's in the church, whether it's in politics, whether it's in a business, like I'll have your guys's wisdom and I'll have my energy and those two things match together. I mean, there's not much, you can't stop that. So that's some pessimism and optimism for you. There you go. Um, but we can, right. I mean, I, I'll shut up. We can, we can go into the, we can go into the next questions. Um, we got to talk about big tech censorship. I mean, we talked about it 
a lot, uh, but it's so important that we need to just continue to talk about this. And I think we, we somewhat talked about good ways to combat big, big tech censorship, but I don't think we got really to the bottom of it because a lot of conservatives now are trying to start their own social media platforms and whatnot. So what do you think is the best way that cons- conservatives, Republicans, or just people who are just sick and tired of this big tech censorship, how can we combat that as the American people? What do you think? Huge issue. Huge issue. Obviously, I have my own personal wounds when I got permanently banned from TikTok right. without any notification, no warning, nothing. I Can was we give stunned. an update about that? Sure. You just, they just, Scott made a new account. And so they just made a new account. So he's back on TikTok. 20,000 followers, right? Yes. No? So, so they're back. I mean. Yeah, yeah. Scott Jensen, MN. Right. And we tried to reach out and contact them and yeah. we want to play by the rules uh, we just were surprised our team was surprised that we got permanently banned so yeah. yeah scott jensen mn and we think it's really important but getting back to the whole issue of big tech i've experienced being permanently banned i've certainly experienced many fact checkers along the last year hmm. usa today associated press facebook TikTok. Uh, there's a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. And one thing I've learned is the fact checkers, they're not always very worldly in terms of the topic that they're fact checking on. Yeah. They've called me and I remember one situation where I took 45 minutes to try to help this person understand how PCR testing works mm-hmm. and how it is that we establish the diagnosis of COVID-19 or not. And I would have thought that the person who was assigned the opportunity or obligation to fact check me would have been knowledgeable, but clearly wasn't that knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. Hopefully after 45 minutes of talking with me, they had something uh, more in terms of understanding than they did before. But when I look at big tech, this may not be a real popular Republican view, but I think we always have to ask ourselves, what happens to our economy when monopolization occurs. Hmm. We know that with an electric company, a utility Hmm. company, if there's no regulation and they decide tomorrow to double their prices because they want to make more money, Hmm. then conceivably you would drive people out of their homes or cause them to go without electricity. Hmm. That isn't acceptable. So we have a public utility commission. Hmm. We are fast approaching, if not having passed a certain point where we have to consider those same kinds of things for the monopolizing industries which cannot easily be reproduced. Mm -hmm. What am I thinking? Well, let's take a big pharmaceutical company Mm -hmm. that makes insulin, where there's only three of them in the world that really make 98% of the insulin. Mm -hmm. What if those three said tomorrow, we're gonna triple the price of insulin? Mm -hmm. What would we do? When you look at big tech, Big tech, how do you go about building a platform like Facebook yeah. or TikTok or Twitter if it has the power to either be a monopoly, prevent others from coming in, mm-hmm. or monopolize potentially the national dialogue? Mm-hmm. Then we have to think about right. are there thoughtful regulations that need to be put in place? Yeah. Because you could literally Literally, you could take over a government, you could take over a country without ever firing a shot, simply by controlling the dialogue. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing it happen with greater and greater frequency. Mm -hmm. And it's spawning some important questions. One of the questions I 
puzzle over a little bit. Does the First Amendment right protect my ability to lie? Hmm. If I say something that I think is truth, but isn't, and is an error, someone could say, well, that's a lie. Mm -hmm. If I know it's a lie, and I say it, is that protected? Hmm. If I don't know if it's a lie, and I think it's the truth, is that protected? Hmm. If we're going to walk down that pathway, then how do we decide who gets to decide what's a lie and what's not a lie? Right. So at that point in time, yeah. to me, it blows open that First Amendment right and says speech has to be protected. Yeah. Free speech has to be protected. And if a fact checker or Facebook or TikTok says you've violated a community standard, then I think they have an obligation to demonstrate that they're actually correct. Yeah. And I think that's the slippery slope that we seem to be on right now and why so many people are concerned. Mm -hmm. So in terms of big tech, I think we've, we're going to have to do regulation. It has to be thoughtful, yeah. but we've got to do something. I mean, until we get politicians who are ready to do that, what can your average American citizen do to start to combat this? Because I don't, I'm trying to think of like, I don't know what I could even do. I'm just an, I'm just an average Joe. Like, what, what can I do? I mean, we can obviously vote people in to start to regulate this, but from now until then, what do we do? Yeah, I don't know. What do we do? Well, one thing is, I think variety is the spice of life. Mm -hmm. So we need to get our news and information from multiple sources. We all have to redouble our commitment to that. Yeah. So if you're on a platform, get on two. Do mm -hmm. something like that. Right. If you've got people that you trust and you have ongoing texting relationship or email relationship, maintain those relationships. Mm -hmm. That's important as well. But here's one. Call on politicians to not accept these humongous buku contributions from some of these big tech, big pharma companies. Mm -hmm. Because make no mistake about it, Andy, when a politician gets a big check from mm -hmm. someone, they would be almost inhuman to not fall prey to feeling a little obligated yeah. to making certain that that donor right. is honored, respected, mm -hmm. and has access in a special way. Mm -hmm. So if we're really gonna be serious about this, then don't take their dollars. Mm -hmm. Well, are you? No, no, you're not. I'm not taking any money from big pharma or big tech for a variety of reasons, but certainly the monopolization is one. Mm -hmm. Another is because I'm a physician, I think it's critically important mm -hmm. that I really make a conscious effort to separate myself yeah. from the influences of big pharma. Mm -hmm. Because if the influence of big pharma can somehow cause me to make a decision on behalf of one of my patients right. that really isn't the best decision. Maybe puts the patient in harm's way. Yeah. Maybe causes the patient to pay three times mm -hmm. what they would have to pay if I used a different pharmacologic product. Yeah. I need to be really careful now more than ever because mm -hmm. the world of medicine, the world of big pharma is powerfully important. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's changed that's just a sort of an everyday thing, Andy, is that more and more of our medical research is funded by big pharma, mm -hmm. that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Because if you get your research funded and it feels good to be able to do research, yeah. and then you have another project you wanna do, where might you get your funding for the next project? Well, Same. maybe whoever funded this project. Mm -hmm. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that if this project reveals the conclusions mm -hmm. that, the, if you will, the payer of the research was hoping for, yeah. maybe they'll do your next one. Right. So then are we running into mm -hmm. that area, that gray area where yeah. all of a sudden our research isn't really as scientific as it should be? Yeah. 
That's a great question. I think we talked about this in a couple podcasts back about Eisenhower and well, I have a question. What do you think prompted Eisenhower, President Eisenhower, to comment in 1961 about the future possibility that public policy might be captured by a technological scientific elite? And you talked about it before, and it's starting to make a little bit more sense. I'm, I'm, always, I'm like, how did he know this in 1961? Like, how could he see that coming? But what do you think prompted him to say that? And then how is that affecting us to this day? And how is it going to affect us going forward? Those are three big questions. <laughs> Dwight Eisenhower had served in the military and had a, a, an honored, vaunted career. Then he was president of our country for eight years and mm-hmm. undoubtedly had experiences and exposures to energies and agendas that we can only guess at. I'm going to guess that President Eisenhower knew well the words of Dr. Benjamin Rush mm-hmm. 200 years earlier when Dr. Benjamin Rush said, we need to have a health freedom amendment as a part of the Bill of Rights. Benjamin Rush was a doctor who walked alongside of uh, George Washington with the Continental Army. And he advocated for a health freedom amendment then because he saw the potential for something to happen that wouldn't be good down the road. 200 years later, Mm -hmm. Eisenhower, if you will, elevated it to uh, the light of day. And I think he said it then because he was seeing more large influences. He saw the world of TV coming into play. He saw radio, automobiles. Mm-hmm. We really didn't have computers per se. Yeah. We just come through two big world wars. Mm-hmm. But I think he saw the large mm-hmm. power wheel of maybe a half a dozen people yeah. that could run a state, maybe run a nation. And yeah. if they happen to have an agenda that said there's closely intersected with this industry, yeah. That that industry might have favoritism and advantages that no other industry would have. And I think he saw that happening with huh. science. Yeah. He saw it happening with technology. And he said, my stars, with what these people can do already down the road, yeah. if it's exponential, they're going to capture our public policy mm-hmm. and our citizens will suffer the cost. Yeah. He said it in 61. 60 years later. Right. I mean, I don't like using the expression too much because it's just a little bit morose, but the idea of someone rolling over in their grave. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine what Eisenhower is thinking today, yeah. 60 years, right. with what's going on? Right. I mean, that's a, I mean, we're definitely seeing some of that today. And I do have a question, though, about, I mean, this is where things get tricky, is what do you think, at what point has a private company start started to infringe on American rights, such as freedom of speech. So we've seen this in in big tech with censoring what you can say and what you can't say. Like, at at what point do we need to draw those lines as as American people? Because one of the arguments, maybe from like a libertarian viewpoint, is they're a private company, they can do whatever they want. But that's not, I mean, it's not necessarily true. If I can't, if if you don't have Facebook, or if you're kicked off Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, you're never going to win an election. That's just the bottom line. Nobody's going. You're not going to win an election. You're not going to gain a following because it's not 1905 anymore. Like you don't go door to door. So, at what point do we draw the line? At what point do you do you draw the line? I'm not going to take your bait because that's what it feels like. I think that that's where we have to stop. We we have to be thoughtful. Hmm. Let's first agree that a line has to be drawn then let's not puff up a politician or a candidate 
by allowing him or her to think that they know best where to do it. Yeah, okay. It has to be drawn. We have to have something put in place to make certain that the message and the conversation that goes on in our democratic republic mm-hmm. isn't truncated. Yeah. So I don't know the line. Yeah. I just know that we need to do something. We are seeing enough influence from big tech that we should all be fearful. Mm-hmm. We can appreciate and applaud what they've done in terms of bringing information to our fingertips yeah. and communication to our fingertips. Many people got through the COVID pandemic because of FaceTime capabilities. Mm-hmm. This was a blessing. Yeah. But a line has to be drawn. We need to thoughtfully move forward. And this is where the political process has failed us, Andy. Mm-hmm. We need to not have a conversation that takes 10 years. Mm-hmm. We need to get something done. We need to be a little bit more nimble. We don't have to be hasty or foolish, yeah. but we need to say, we are going to do something. We're going to have a hard, intense, rapid fire conversation for the next three to six months, and we are going to do something before mm. the calendar strikes December. That's, right. yeah. that's what we have to do, and that's what frustrates the citizens of America so much. Yeah. We, we know the game. Yeah. Look what Big Pharma does. Every time something's going to come down the pike legislatively, what do they do? They lay in the weeds, they plant a few seeds, mm-hmm. and then in the 11th hour, they come in with their high-buck lobbyists, their big-buck campaigns, mm-hmm. and they come after the legislators individually and say, yeah. remember the check I gave you last time around? Would you like to have another one like that and maybe a little bit more added to it? Mm-hmm. This is what happens, and this is what's wrong, and this is why we need to tell our politicians, quit taking from the companies that want to preserve their monopolies mm-hmm. and get stuff done and find common ground mm-hmm. and work across the aisle and don't think you get it all mm-hmm. because if you just try to get it all you're probably going to get nothing mm-hmm. and that's exactly what the monopolizing companies and corporations and industry sectors want yeah sounds like it comes down to having integrity as a politician so i think maybe a better question that i could ask every politician andy thinks he or she has integrity right so that's the tough one right. every one of them is out there running victory laps that they mm-hmm. didn't earn and saying see how remarkable mm-hmm. i am right bs right so here's a better question then since i asked what you know i'm not gonna ask what you're gonna do because like you said it's not one person that's gonna draw the line when you're in office or when you're starting to look at these these issues with big tech what Maybe not where are you going to draw the line, but are you going to put together like a group of people? Are you going to like try to? What does this conversation look like? What, what do you what do you envision this conversation looking like? People from the left, people from the right, all coming together to talk about this or what? I mean, because as people, I think people want leadership right now when it comes to this issue. Like I'm thinking, I don't want to get kicked off of every platform because I say something that I shouldn't have said. They kicked off our president our former president i mean that's crazy so what's the what how do you envision this working out that conversation if i were governor would Mm -hmm. look a lot like the conversation you and i had when we started this podcast Mm -hmm. we started talking you had a vision you thought this would work better i thought well what if we did this you thought the conversation should be with this frequency i thought it should be that frequency yeah you thought that we should talk specifically about one topic i thought we should talk about 10 topics or vice versa That's what it has to be. Sure. If you look at Jimmy Carter as president and Ronald Reagan as president, we had the chance to learn a ton about leadership. I think both were fine men, but I think the historians will be pretty tough on Jimmy Carter. Hmm. And I think in large part it's because of who he surrounded himself with. Hmm. I think history is going to be kind to Ronald Reagan for a variety of reasons. But one of the reasons will be because he surrounded himself with people who were not probably just maybe more expert on topics than he was, 
but they were also forceful enough to push back. Yeah, That's the kind of policy makers I want surrounding me. Sure. I want them smarter than me, I want them forceful, and mm. I don't want them kissing the ring. Yeah. If they want to try to flatter me, please get out of here. Yeah. I don't want to be in groupthink. Mm. Groupthink destroys more creative, powerful initiatives that could change the world for the better than almost any other totally. social phenomenon. Yeah. So I want to surround myself with people who say, Doc, you know, you might know how to do a colonoscopy, but you sure don't get it here. You're wrong. Mm. That's what I need to hear. Mm. And I need to have people that are independent-minded and comfortable enough in their own skin that they're not seeking approval from me and having me pat them on the head. Okay. We've got to change the way politics is doing business. Yeah, I totally agree. I think something to I always tell my my friends and the people that I'm around I, I kind of want to be the dumbest person in the room at all times so that I can learn as much as I possibly can I'm, and it sounds to me like that's kind of your mindset here not, not that you're dumb I'm not calling you dumb but uh, you, you know you always want to learn you want to be around people who are better than you and who are just smarter and have more insight so yeah go ahead and, and one last thing one thing I learned by being a professor at the med school and teaching residents for so many years mm -hmm. and my patients as well if I can't explain something mm-hmm I probably don't understand it as well as I think I do. Yeah. If you can't teach it, you maybe better go back to the books again. Yeah. And I think that's important to remember too, because there's a lot of times I'm asked about something and, and I won't be able to explain it. And I right. say, I'm not exactly sure. I need to go back and do some homework on this. For sure. I think that's another, if you will, flavor or dimension mm -hmm. I would like my administration to have as a part of our everyday process. Totally. Yeah, I totally agree. I want to shift into a question that's probably our last question, but it is kind of has to do with this big tech stuff, but it is a question on how, how important do you think that think it is for conservatives to start getting more involved in the cultural conversations or the cultural wars uh, rather than these political wars? It feels like for a while, you know, Republicans and the conservatives have done a good job of, being, of fighting for for maybe fighting for policy to an extent, but we're just losing the cultural wars and, and, the, and the culture in general. I mean, like the culture is what shifts the way the policy is looked at. I mean, we've seen, we've seen, that, we've seen that in the past 50 years. It happens all the time. So how, how can conservatives be more involved in this cultural conversation? First off, I think conservatives have to <clears throat> maybe do a little soul searching yeah. and ask themselves, why am I conservative? Yeah. I think sometimes because they don't have a comfort level with that, they're not quite, it might sound more nifty or more cool to be a liberal than a yeah, conservative. Yeah. Let's just look at the word of conservative. Yeah. It comes from the Latin word conservare, yeah. and it means to safeguard. Yeah. So if a conservative is someone who wants to safeguard that which is good within society, mm -hmm. uh, the nuclear family, a child feeling protected, yeah. every person feeling like they can dream and go pursue their dreams, right. uh, the protection of the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, if that's what a conservative feels drives them to be a conservative, they'll feel better. Yeah. Then we have to participate. We have to participate in the conversation, right. but I think we have to do it differently than what's gone on. Hmm. It isn't in proclaiming the right answer that we influence the conversation. Yeah. It's in asking the right question. Yeah. A lot of times with my patients, my patients will come in and they might have a bone to pick, maybe with another doctor, uh, a failed surgery, a hospitalization that they recently had. I am way better off listening and then asking, what do you think could have been done differently that would have given you a different experience? What do you think about this? Hmm. We've forgotten sometimes the power of questions and we just pontificate. Yeah. And we let our 
We let our politicians do this. Listen to a politician. Listen to them give a speech and listen for the word I. Hmm. I think that tells so much. We need to talk more about you. We need to talk about what does servant leadership mean? What does stepping away from your community of interest into the representative realm mean? Mm -hmm. And who is it for? Because it should be about you, not about I. Hmm. And I think if we could do that, I think conservatives would say, I'm a conservative for this reason. Ronald Reagan said it really well. He would go down the line. He said, faith, family, freedom, founding father's wisdom, limited government, lower Mm -hmm. taxes, protect life from beginning to end, Mm -hmm. celebrate exceptionalism wherever you see it, Mm -hmm. always regard the individual, peace through strength, and always dream to be the best person you can be or to be the best city you can be or to be the best state you can be. But that's what he gave us. Mm -hmm. Those are powerful things he built on the Emancipation Proclamation that Mm -hmm. Lincoln proclaimed more than 100 100 years before him. Mm -hmm. He built on what Teddy Roosevelt said when we can do an environmental initiative like our national park system like nobody else. Mm -hmm. And we can equally enforce the law and we can believe in equality. We can do all these things and we can try to ferret out the unfairness. But we don't do those things if we're jumping to the tune of hot button phrases like critical race theory or white supremacy. Mm Those aren't conversation starters. Those mm-hmm. aren't problem solver starters. Yeah. Those are just, if you will, distractions. Yeah. What we're really talking about is, is there an unfairness yeah. present? What can we do to fix that unfairness? Mm-hmm. Who's it affecting? We need to remember the words of, I think it was Martin Nemo in World War II when he said, when this first happened, I knew it was wrong. I'm paraphrasing him. <laughs> but I didn't do anything about it because it didn't affect me. Yeah. Well, then... When the next wrong came, I, it didn't affect me there either. But right. I, I knew it was wrong. But gee whiz, by right. the time they came for me, you had there was not nobody done, left right. to come yeah. to my support. Right, right. In a sense, we're yeah. doing that. If, we get, if you get censored, Andy, tomorrow by three major platforms, mm-hmm. and I don't protest at all because it didn't affect me, yeah. when they come for me, who's going to be there for me? Not me. <laughs> not you. <laughs> that's right. I, yeah, I mean, that's you. So... I, some some of those big like hot phrases that you mentioned are some from the left, but I want to talk. Those are on the right as well. And there's people on the right. They have their their couple talking points, and they and they you know, you have a lot of influence. And there's a lot of people that want to listen to you. There's a lot of people that listen to this. What would you say to them in terms of moving towards having that conversation? This will be the last question, and then we'll be done. But moving towards a conversation that is produces like fruit for produces good you know good for the society rather than getting stuck on these hot topics one of the miracles about being a human is we have the ability to recognize the value of our own existence Mm -hmm. and the value of others Mm -hmm. many mammals if not all, probably other than us, don't have that. So we think about life and death. We think about others and ourselves. If we take that awareness on a personal level Mm -hmm. and try to broaden it, we get to a better place. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? Well, take a dysfunctional relationship that you have. Maybe it was a good relationship and it turned sour and you were sad about it because Mm -hmm. there was so much that you got from that person and so much you could give to that person but it broke apart perhaps it's critically important to you to try to rebuild that relationship how would you do it would you knock on their door 
with your toe, draw a line in the sand and say, I'm right and I'm not going to cross this line. Come on over my way and we can be friends. Mm. Probably not. I think that's what I would say in regards to the hard right and the hard left. Mm. If you're playing on the five yard line of your respective half of the field, mm. you can't even shout to the person on the other side of the midline stripe. Yeah. If you're playing on the 30 or 40 yard line, you can not only shout to them, you can see them, you can see when they're hurting, you can see maybe the tears in their eyes, mm -hmm. you can maybe understand better why they feel differently than you do. Yeah. You can only do that if you're close enough to see them, right. to holler to them, to speak with them. Mm. If you get closer still, you might be able to smell them. Mm -hmm. You might be able to smell their fear. Mm -hmm. You might be able to see that their clothes are tattered mm -hmm. and that they have no roof over their head and that they're hungry. Mm -hmm. That's what we have to do. Yeah. We have to use questions to build bridges. And we have mm -hmm. to let the bridges allow us to somehow carve out a little common ground. Maybe it's only the, the, the size of a, a basketball. Mm -hmm. But if we can grow it into the size of a hula hoop mm -hmm. and then grow it into a square mile mm -hmm. and then grow it into a state, yeah. then we can start to heal Minnesota. Right. I totally agree. I think we'll end on that because I think it's good for people to just sit with that. Um, yeah, I think I think that's a good way to end this. I mean, you have anything else you wanted to say? Well, I know you wanted to ask me what's good. Right. Also, what's good, Scott? Sorry, I, I forgot about that. This conversation. Yeah. This was a good conversation. This is a conversation I didn't see going where it went. Hmm. Probably a conversation that I'll take some pushback on. Hmm. But you've given me a chance, Andy, to elevate the value of asking questions, the ability for those questions to build bridges, the opportunity for those bridges to help determine some common ground. Hmm. And maybe from the common ground, we could get to something that solves a problem and a law gets passed and yeah. a governor signs it. And one more problem can be checked off the list and we can move on to the next problem. Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> no problem. Um, that's it for today. So I think... We'll be back soon enough, but again, make sure to like, subscribe, leave a good review, five stars, check the website, drscottjensen.com. Uh, there's tons of stuff on there. You're going to want to check that out. And I think that's it, right? Follow us, do whatever you got to do, send us to your family and friends, and make sure to comment and send emails in. <laughs> that's about it. So thank you all for listening, and we'll see you guys in the next one. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you.